0: Welcome to the third iteration of the Book Strong Podcast, hosted by Matthew Christie. Today on the podcast, we see Matthew Christie talk with power athlete's very own, Chris Tex McQuilkin, as they go over his free course on power athlete named, Unlocking Athletic Potential Through the Warm-Up. For those that didn't hear me the first time, I'll say it again. This is a free course provided by Power Athlete at powerathletehq.com. To support the channel, for the episode to a friend. Now that's enough for me, so let's carry on with the show. Okay, I'm here with Coach McCulkin. He is the Director of Training and Education for Power Athlete. He's worked with the world's best from tactical military athletes, collegiate sports, and professionals. Based out of Texas, thanks for coming, coach.
1: Thanks for having me, dude. Happy to to be here. Did I miss anything? Uh plenty, dude. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> years in the industry, you take odd jobs <laughs> and do whatever you can for the opportunity to learn from somebody. So plenty along the way, but I mean, we are here to talk about a specific purpose that I'm I'm proud to. So, man, we, we can get right to it. Sounds good. So we're looking at
0: a free resource on Power Athlete. It is called Unlocking Athletic Potential Through the Warm-Up. Like I said, it's a free resource, and it's broken up into four parts. The first being athlete prep and sport. The second, why do we warm up? Third, breakdown of movement to maximize coaching. And then lastly, how to create your own Power Athlete Warm-Up.
1: That's exactly it, man. Yeah, free free course online. And this was a lecture that I gave a number of years ago. I think we recorded this one in 2017. So I had the opportunity to, to capture it and put it out there and really push it to the masses. But the the warm-up is something that is is near and dear to me because it was my first opportunity as a strength and conditioning coach. To make an impact the warm up is the one consistent opportunity that every coach and athlete has if we think about it through training sport practice competition every single moment that we have that first 10 to 15 minutes is your opportunity to unlock your athletic potential and the unfortunate reality within the industry is no one values it sport coaches especially that's when they find their dick around time when they walk up to the athletes that are in the huddle or stretching or doing what they do and just try to talk some trash to them or make a connection i'll argue that but it's mostly distract them and and coaches selfishly just try to get their time in during the athletes critical time of the warm-up so yeah when my first collegiate coaching gig at georgetown university as a strength coach i started my job as a uh lacrosse coach at division three Marymount University and then decided I was a hell of a lot better strength coach than I was a lacrosse coach. So first strength only job at, at Georgetown, I got handed the warm up for the the men's lacrosse team for training and because I mean even the strength coach at the time didn't value it. So took full advantage and aimed to practice and teach and find my coaching voice. And what I was discovering was movement and athleticism. And this is way back in 2012, shit, man, 10 years ago. So now this lesson was a, a, an embodiment of that season that I had with the, the, the Georgetown men's team and putting them in the best position I could with all the 10 minutes I had a day for three sessions a week. So 30 minutes a week to really make an impact because I was delivering someone else's strength program and making the most of this opportunity. So coaches out there, what I'm trying to say, don't devalue the warm up. When you're writing a program, it's essentially everything. So we're all in geeking out on strength percentages and strength training and accessory work and all this and that. But then the warm up is essentially where you can lay the foundation for your coaching and every bit of communication that you have throughout your training day is connected to that first 10 minutes.
0: Right, that's great. So, uh, I can absolutely relate to the coaches dicking off. I mean, whether it's at practice, they'll be throwing me the football, just chatting it up, talking trash, like you said. So I get that. But um, the warm up, something you you say a lot is it's not just warming up the chili, which is one of my favorite lines.
1: We yeah yeah getting your chili hot. So I picked that up from coach Tim cross when I was at university of Texas. And I mean, it's something he always said when he saw the athletes getting down and I mean, division one sports, that's a job in itself. So athletes energy is up, down and around, especially we got 6. AM. So coach cross had a lot of fun with that. So that was a, a nugget I picked up from him and yeah, man, they, it, People like you can read the AC, ACSM guidelines for warming up and then spit that off to your sport coach. But at the same time, like there's different aspects within the warm up that we need to prepare our athlete for. Yes. Uh, you know, increasing stroke volume, blah, 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 and all the book stuff, man. But no, there's four different levels that we introduce in the course that the 10 minutes that you have a day connect to. And the first one is biomechanical efficiency. And any nerds out there, this is also known as intermuscular coordination. So intermuscular coordination, this is when your bicep and your tricep learn they can actually work together to extend the elbow. Or your quad and hamstring and glutes are learning about each other to execute a squat. Any athlete out there, think of your first time bench pressing. And then how wobbly was the bar as you were trying to navigate and discover where your chest was and then press it back up or squatting for the first time. And you got Bambi legs all over the place that is biomechanical inefficiency. So the warm up is our opportunity every single day to work on our basic coordination of moving through space. And if we're working with high school athletes, hell, even some college athletes, they're a different person every single day. Meaning they hit growth spurts, they develop musculature. So that warm up is their opportunity to re coordinate and recalibrate who they are as an athlete. Next up, we have neurological efficiency, also known for any book nerd intramuscular coordination. This is motor units, rate encoding, number encoding, pattern encoding. But once our basic coordination is down, then we have the opportunity within our muscles. To work on our expression of power and speed so that's that intra where my biceps now dictate how much power that they can produce for the designated movement once my coordination is locked in there so different form of coordination and i mean all more important when it comes to athletics because i have to apply a specific degree of force and power to accomplish my task right i don't want to overshoot or over jump or miss time, a jump to make a play on the ball or, you know, ju- not jump high enough, even though I have the capability to, I just misread it. Any misreading of the play or the ball or the g- trajectory or the, um, just start trying to think foot hunting football, people down like the, um, tracking, tracking, any of that misappropriate or misleveling someone's abilities like that is that's a failure of neurological efficiency. You've misread it. So we have the opportunity in the warm up to practice the umpteenth degree that an athlete needs to move to accomplish a specific task.
0: And does um, that come out as the movement prep to the exercise you're going to be doing that day or a sport specific movement? that an athlete will be doing in his sport
1: well with with a warm-up we don't necessarily have to have the balls in there like this could be an aspect of you know hey i want you to jump to jump to the three yard line so say we're on our goal line then they're thinking about how much task specific force it'll take to get to the three yard line so it could be as simple as that or you know, throwing a ball in there. Uh, I'm not mad at that, but then that gets into the more sport specific warm up that we got. Because as a strength coach, I got 10 minutes without the sport, without the ball, and then hand them off to the, the position coach to get their specific practice prep in, which is typically a routine. And we can get into routines later of how they're not the, uh, the appropriate approach when training an athlete, but um, like it can be, but just a specific task that they need to execute and put forth umpteenth effort to accomplish. So they're not overshooting the three, they're not undershooting the three, they're getting to the three yard line as a simple example. Um, next thing we're working on again is primal proficiency. And in the world of power athlete, how we define movement is primal movement patterns. So not primal as in like loin cloth, paleo diet, primal is in foundational, fundamental movement. And there are seven foundational movements from our perspective, four for the upper body and only three for the lower body. Four for the upper, we got a vertical push, like a push press paired with a vertical pull, like strict pull up. Then we got a horizontal push like a push up and then a horizontal pull like a bent over row. So those are the four foundational movements that our upper body can accomplish. Now more fun is our lower body. I want you to imagine a pelvis is like a bowl of soup. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to have it an imaginary axis of rotation coming through the right side and through the pelvis to the left side. I'm going to rotate and tilt that bowl of soup forwards. And that's going to be an x-axis of rotation in any form of hinge, squat, deadlift, Olympic weightlifting, and getting ready in our athletic position. That bilateral hinge action, that's one. Then we have same bowl of soup, but I have imaginary axes going from the top down, a y axis, and then my bowl of soup is going to rotate along that y-axis. So this is the form generalized as a lunge, as I'm lunging forward, my pelvis is twisting and rotating to the left and to the right. And then the final is going to be a step up. So we have the same bowl of soup, but instead of tilting forwards, I'm gonna tilt to the left and to the right. My iliac crest of my pelvis will tilt to the left and to the right. I'm stepping up, I'm marching, I'm sprinting, high knees. Those are gonna be examples of step ups. So those are the three movements that my pelvis my lower body can do now sport is an infinite combination of these x y and z axes of rotation so if i got a monster squat or a monster deadlift but then i can't hold a lunge position to save my life that's a limitation so i need to work on proficiency of movement and my ability to execute these and going about up the chain back to our coordination and then provide my athletes the opportunity to combine X, Y, Z axes. So each warm-up targets standalone X, standalone Y, standalone Z. And then we give them the opportunity to connect all of these through space. So that'd be an example of squat to step up. So you squat your butt down, and then on the way up, you're driving off of one leg into a high knee position, and then bring that leg back down and Seamlessly go into the next rep of the squat and then drive out of the hole with the opposite high knee up. That'd be an example of squat to step up, um, combination. So these do take coordination. They do take opportunity and there's an infinite amount of stress that we can apply to through strength, reps, time, different ways to really practice and dial in the coordination of these combinations.
0: And just to clarify, in all your warm-ups, you're targeting, especially the lower three primal movements in every athlete's warm-up. Right? Yes.
1: And Absolutely. the opportunity to combine them. Right. right. Um, yeah, and then the, the last piece of every single warm-up is the get your mind right, the psychological aspect of it. To where, I mean, practice is a little bit different than competition. We don't want to hype, overhype for practice. Like Alan Iverson, we're talking about practice. Yes. So it's, it's a matter of matching the psychological demand to what they have to do. What we don't want to do is put too much hype into practice and then pull away from those, those resources of when the coach has to call upon, right? The, the pre-game speech, the one moment that they need for the specific task that's ahead of them. So it it is an aspect that uh, I mean takes reps. Strength coaches do want to get excited for athletes. You know, it's pretty selfish if they're getting pumped up and hyped up for practice because that's that strength coach's time, and they're just trying to make the most of their moment and feel uh, significant. But I mean, that's selfish. And I, I, dude, I was there. I've been there. So getting hyped up for practice and getting people excited, but dude, doing that selfishly and realizing. There's a bigger picture to this. So you want to save that hype for the the game day. But then there's a level of professionalism, preparation, and fundamentals that you can harp on at practice and essentially putting them in more of a coachable mindset. So we don't want to overhype. I'm trying and aiming to prepare them to be open to criticism and practice communication amongst their teammates. And delivering either a form of candor or specific targeted feedback for their teammates. That's a higher expectation and demand that they'll need to be a successful team. So breaking that down, candor, it's essentially, man, it's talking trash. It's developing rapport and relationship and trust. And you know, if you can talk trash and then your buddy can give it right back, OK, we're going to expand and develop a relationship here versus me talking trash and then my teammate just barking back at me or taking it person, personally and finding some targeted thing that they don't like about me. That's not in a form of a, a playful banter manner. So candor is important because it it accelerates the rapport within the athletes so when I'm prepared to give constructive criticism. You didn't cut on that play. That was you, you hit pass block on that, you down blocked on that play. We needed you to pull. So it's me holding them to a standard. But that that level of expectation and communication, the foundation of it is candor and talking trash and playing along and developing this expectation amongst my teammates. So within that psychological how i accomplish that with my my sports teams is applying different tasks for the team so putting them in a position to organize themselves and fail so right now i'm coaching a lacrosse team okay following our specific warm-up we we go right into running before we do any skill work I like to pre-fatigue so then some days it's guys i need 10 groups i need 10 lines right now i don't care how many Uh, I don't care who's the captain. Hands up if you're a leader. Everybody else fall in line. You got 30 seconds. Go. So then people scramble. They're saying, "Hey, we need to even out the lines. We only got seven lines. You go over there. You go over there." So that's a level of psych psychology for them to find my leaders and then give them an opportunity to lead and fail. Um, Then there's another one I love. It's simple. This is probably the stupidest drill ever but it's called motivation drill so whether it's 10 lines or it's six lines or it's even three lines what we do is we put the team 10 yards across and then i'm going to sprint as hard as fast as i can forward for 10 yards and i'm going to give my teammate a high five and then just like a relay race that high five is the handoff the next guy is going to run 10 back to where i started and we're going back and forth and back and forth for i don't know five minutes six minutes seven minutes, I want to see a lull of boredom start to develop and look for the leaders. The reason it's called motivation drill, if I'm not sprinting, I'm hooting and hollering and screaming at the top of my lungs for my teammates. So you get to see this ebb and this flow of energy that's going to translate into the practice. So this is not overhype. It's not me. You know, ripping my sleeves off and, and headbutting the team. No, this is on the dudes. I just got a stopwatch and a whistle. So we start to see this lull. And usually with the, the freshmen and the JV, they get bored. And then the leaders, I can tell who my real captains are, start to bring this team up and can level up. So I don't tell them how long we're going to do this. And then what I'm essentially training is that candor in line also now with motivation. How do I want my sideline to act during a game? I do. I want them to talk trash. Do I want them to say, Oh, what the fuck are they doing out there? I could do it better. No, 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 no. We needed a positive sense of communication. So whether my guys are not hustling or they're starting to get fatigued and tired, I don't want my teammates to be barking at them. Move your, be- move your ass, blah, blah, blah. You know, negative. It's, hey, let's go. We got this. You can do this. Hey, pick it up. Almost done. Almost home. So it's training the language. And I put them in a position to fail, but then provide the feedback following, right? We do motivation drill once a week and usually takes the, the fall ball, like this lacrosse, usually takes fall ball to really understand and, and let this sink in. Because man, it does get boring, it does get fatigued, it does get tired, but as much as it is conditioning, if anything, it's getting our mind right for how we want to communicate to each other in a game day, yes, but also throughout practice and into that session. So it's uh, It's different tools like that that you just put them in a position to lead each other, talk trash, motivate and create a little hype within this that's not this over-aggression of, you know, hey, look at me, hey, look at me uh, expression that some coaches lead to because they know, yeah, shit, I only have 10 minutes to matter today at the warm-up. Nah, long-term thinking. A lot thrown at you, dude. That was a lot. And you took –
0: so what I was going to say was this – the psychological factor portion was – one of my favorites in the entire uh, course. Uh, I got the biggest takeaways from it, but you brought that to a level of communication and building teamwork before or between players that I've never even considered. And well, that yeah, drill I going to go back and add awesome. some more.
1: But yeah, um, yeah, it's the fun. It it's for the kids, and that's that's something you learn. Over the years as a coach, we get in this because we love this or a coach matter to us. And then it's realizing in a moment that shit, this is a service industry. Let's aim to give back. Why did that coach mean so much to me? Or why did athletics and team mean so much to me? So then I can aim to put them in a position to, to learn that same lesson versus, you know, scratch my own itch
0: they learn the lesson and it's something that they can t- carry out in their own life and pass on in their own way, whether it's there, they probably won't be a coach, but they get something from it and can translate it into something.
1: Yeah. And it, NCAA had it right, right? You go pro in something other than sports. Like you got to work on a team in your job, whatever that may be. So, appropriately talking to them, and like I've been in plenty of of teams in my career, and the best ones are where we can talk some trash, but still hold each other to the highest level of expectation and execute.
0: What I noticed was after so I read this a couple of weeks ago, and I back to the psychological factors, I started looking at my warm up as a way to actually focus and concentrate on the, what I'm doing that day, kind of put my classes aside, put everything else that I'm doing aside and focus on what I'm doing that day. And it's changed my warmup in the small two-week sample completely. It's changed my perspective on it. It's changed how I've done it. So now it's just a matter of me figuring out how do I make that possible for my teammates? Moving forward, how do I make that possible as an intern giving a warm up to another sport? Because for me, it took me, I had to read this course to understand the value in this warm up. So, how do you get someone who doesn't care to read this course
1: to play? Well, you're not going to. Like, you're not going to. This is speaking to coaches. And if you say, man, this changed me, hey, teammate, you should read this, they're not going to. Uh, Maybe it was a funny meme. Then they'll, they'll check it out. But at the same time, like this is a lot to absorb. So set, just as you did with yours, set an intention. You're focused on what I have to accomplish today. Well, set it for the team. I mean, leaders lead, everyone else falls in line. So even if it's your position group or your offense, which position do you play? I'm a free safety. Free safety. Okay. So then the the defensive backs. So... During your crew of defensive backs, hey, guys, intention today, we're focusing on footwork. Intention today, we're focused on rotation. Remember this play that that you got burned or I got burned. You can start with yourself showing that you have the ability to constructively look at your playing career. You remember that play during week three in which I got torched that all came down to footwork. Or my ability, I got juked out of my jock strap. That was my inability to maintain good position here. Or I remember that time that I failed to give help. I misread the assignment. I was one step slower, blah, blah, blah. So find a reason. Well, that our intention today is going to be focusing on footwork. Because I failed to do that in week four during the third quarter when I was hella tired and not in shape. So find a specific example, start with yourself, and then set the simplest of intentions. And aim then is for you to hold them accountable. If they're losing focus, a big thing with my team now during a warm-up is a simple phrase. It's called reps, not steps. Imagine we're doing knee hugs going forward for 15 yards, and I do a knee hug right. I put that right foot down, and then I take one, two, three, four simple steps, and then do left knee hug. Aim, reps, not steps. So over 15 yards, I'm getting 16 knee hugs or six. So that's 10 knee hugs that I'm missing every single practice, so on and so forth, that really add up. So call them out. Hey, during this warm up, we're focusing on reps, not steps. During our lunges, I want to pull right into the next rep versus having a wedding step or standing up in between. And then start to call them out for it. So that's that candor. Talk some trash. Be like, dude, you're too young to get married. Trust me. So throw some some shit talk in there. They they you can't say trust me, dude. You're a junior in college. Just you know, add your own flair to it. But um, yeah. And then from the warm-up, now they have a connection between your voice and For lack of a better term at this moment, I'll call it criticism, constructive criticism. And then so when they make a mistake during sports specific drills, you can say, hey, your hips were here. They should have been here. You've already built the relationship that they're going to listen to you in the lunging warm up. Guess what? If you don't say that during practice and then you say it during a game, they're going to look at you like, "Who who are you? To tell me what to do. You made a mistake in week four, quarter three, blah, 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 blah. So that's what I mean by this warm-up is the opportunity to build this relationship of communication and go from there. So, yeah, man, start with the, hey, intention today is, and then take it into your warm-up and then carry it into your sports-specific stuff, and then into the position drills, and then into the defensive drills. So if your D-backs trust you, well, they'll start to reverberate into the linebackers trusting you and into the defense of line, and then the defense is as a unit, and then the other side of the ball sees that. Hey, leaders lead. Everyone else falls in line.
0: Yeah, we definitely got a tight-knit group with the DBs, but we're called the uh, Dirty Boys, so <laughs> shout-out to them. But uh, the how, on your team, so the team you coach. How many how many of those types of leaders do you see?
1: Well, the naturally only naturally. a handful. Yeah. But at the same time, it's 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 on me as a coach to cultivate that. Cuz right. I mean, I get the guys 6 hours a week, only a few months a year. So then it's putting them in positions to develop that voice and the confidence in themselves to say the things. How I, again, using the warm up, how I accomplish that a number of ways. Uh, number one, I, and we'll get to this, but no warm up is ever the same. Routine is the death of athleticism. So, no warm up is the same. So, every single day, I introduce a new task that they've never done before but it's in line with the the foundational movements that we introduced. So I pick one dude, whether he's JV, whether he's varsity, whether he's a sophomore, a senior, it doesn't matter. And he is the demo person. They have all their nerves, they are on center stage, and they're getting over themselves in this thing where they think that everyone is watching them. Well, everyone is watching them at this moment, but there's a level of tension and nerves That's going to catch up to them in a game that we need to get over. So one by one, picking out a new kid every single day, introducing a movement. And it could be that squat to step up that I did or a a pillar trunk movement could be anything. And then put them in a position to trust themselves moving through space at the highest amount of stress and pressure that they would ever put on themselves. Then during our actual warm-up pick a random person could be jv any age group could be varsity could be a captain could be a backup doesn't matter have them lead or f- any i put times two movements through four count and add um let's say i want to go for 30 seconds then i'm going to do Yes, I know the math doesn't add up, but five four count reps. As an example of a push-up, I'm going to start my up position, down. So I have a leader say, one, then they push up, two, then they go back down, three, and then finish the push-up. And the team says, one, then again, one, two, three, two, one, two, three. So add time. It's not me, coach, leading this. It's saying, all right. Five four-count push-ups on Cody. Ready, ready. And Cody leads. And then next up, we're uh, five squats. So now imagine my hands are up in the air, like uh, doing the YMCA or a touchdown. And then I'm standing tall, and I'm going to squat with this cadence. So I go down. I bring my arms down and squat. One. Up, two. Down, three. One. So then we have the opportunity. I pick another kid. Doesn't matter who it is. So aiming to give everyone time to lead, not during every single warm-up, that's impossible, but everyone an opportunity to find their voice. And they you do hear the nervous cracks, right? It could be puberty, these are high schoolers, or they're actually nervous. But it's getting over that, man. It doesn't matter, but they think it does. And eventually they start to find their voice. Then once they find their voice, they can call each other out for poor steps, for poor movement, for poor reps, and then it leads and reverberates from this single opportunity of the warm-up, not going through the motions, not saying, okay, boys, here's your dynamic warm-up for the year, and then me dicking around and taking them out of the zone. No, no, no. It's very specific and it's encompassing a full spectrum of movement, communication and opportunity and space and demands that they'll face on the field. And me as a coach, this is the beauty of being a strength and a sport coach. I can see where they suck and give them the opportunity to correct that in the warm-up. Could be strength, could be change of direction, could be footwork could be rotation could be anything so we put more rotation into the warm up so that's that's the cool thing of being sport and strength and i mean the sport of football essentially invented that role like football coaches think back to your high school days who ran the weight room the lowest man on the totem pole or hey dude you play college ball you're in charge of the weight room yeah awesome so it's aiming to bridge that gap and bring the weight room to the field and vice versa as the the strength and sport coach for any team.
0: Also a good way for larger teams to actually get to know kids. You get a football team, 120 people, throw that freshman that doesn't talk, have them try to lead something in front of all the seniors, everyone that they don't want to talk to. They just want to keep their head down, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you learn a lot about the old upperclassmen. Say they do screw up. Sure. How are they going to respond? What are you doing? Stop it. Or they take control back over. I don't know if it's good or bad, but see how they, they respond or encourage. Depends on the what the sport coaches want for the culture. I'm not say one or the other. Uh, depends on the level of expectation probably be a little bit different at the miami football you know than it would be at norwich up there but hey that's on the sport coach to create the culture
0: part of being a coach having a warm-up is assessing movement yeah But so you've been doing this for a while so you're probably you're great at seeing a large group and assessing a big number of athletes at a time for a coach in the weight room I mean, how many people can you truly assess at once?
1: Uh, for a beginner, uh, I, I mean, d-
0: I'll I'll clarify. So when you're you set up a warm up so that you can assess people's movements and fix their limitations. How many how many athletes can you have in a, at one time? do that do you have interns that you do it too do you have other coaches at the same time in the weight room doing it
1: but more often not no so i am a d3 athlete i live and breathe with the limitation that exists with that sport so thrive in having less and not creating excuses so how many we got the the magic within assessing a large group is putting them all in the same position. So this gets to our warm up. One of the the best movement that we have is known as a dead bug. So I'll paint the picture for you. All the athletes are lying down on their back. They raise their arms up like Frankenstein, and then they press their lower back into the ground. Their legs are straight now at this point. They point their toes straight, knees towards the sky, and then they raise both legs to the point their hamstring flexibility is challenged but not compromised. So dead bug with straight leg. Now I'm looking at the whole team, whether it's 15, 40, 60, or shit, you know, the 120 football. And then we're seeing who has tight hamstrings. Can they get to a 90 degree dead bug? Okay, well, we're still holding. It's 30 seconds. Now who starts to fatigue and go to a poor position and lift their head up off the ground? And get into more of a crunch. Okay, well, they got a weak-ass trunk. Now, from here, what do we see in ankles? Is one toe more plantar flex, so pointing more like a ballerina than the other. Okay, well, <clears throat> we got one tight calf. I probably should note that kid because he's a potential of Achilles uh, who can't hold it at all. Their hips are so weak. Their legs are dropping towards the grounds. So I'm seeing all this within 30 seconds. And by 30 seconds, this is a a term I stole from a a good pal and former power, power athlete colleague, Luke Summers, a Chicago 30 seconds. I'm not looking at the clock. How long does it take me to assess and scan the entire group and call some kids out for things that they need to correct? That's 30 seconds. So it could be 60, could be 45 could be 90. It doesn't really matter. I am in control. So how much time do I need 30 seconds of dead bugs for assessing this? I'm i I'm the captain now to quote the Somalian pirate from that Tom Hanks movie. So I'm going to hold them in this position for as long as it takes me. And you're going to see a lot of kids fall and fail. And I mean, 30 seconds to 60 seconds holding a dead bug is incredibly challenging. Um, So it's how much time do I need on the flip side? I can change their orientation and just put them into a elbows and toes pillar or even a plank push-up position who moves their head around, whose butt dips, whose back does some weird things, who puts their butt in the air like a down dog. So it's, it's isometrics is an, an excellent opportunity to assess a large group, especially their character. Do they disappear up their own butt just to survive or are they motivating and cheering? Let's go guys. We got this. We can do this. So it's a matter of movement selection to see the large group isometrics, pillars, dead bugs, side pillars, excellent way to see what you got. And then during my programming and my accessory work, I'm writing in fixes to these limitations. So if it's more, if it's weak side pillar, position where we can do a lot of lateral flexion and extension some side bends or just straight up side pillar holds during your rest between bench press sets so writing in limitations between different strength movements that would be in my program anyway and then my assessment again is the next week's warm-up when side pillar comes up again did they improve or are they still acting like drama class soccer players i don't know we'll see so it's daily assessment to see if my program is is working or i like the dead bugs how is my program affecting their calf and hamstring tightness because then i need to back off and adjust or pick people out and say hey man you're only doing four reps today
0: Right, and those for those listening, those resources are all the dead bug, and the pillar. Those are in the course after the readings and videos. Moving yep. on, uh, can you go over the structure of your warm-ups? We talked a lot about the different things we throw in, but there's a there's a structure to them, right?
1: Yep, and we um, begin with the trunk. So, as I mentioned, the dead bugs and the pillars, I mean, most, I I never understood this, but most people want to put ab work at the end. And it's in the form of flexion and extension of your spine. Well, when we want to put our quote unquote ab work or from our perspective, trunk work in the beginning, because we're establishing a long spine, establishing a posture for us to then challenge with movement. So we're not doing crunches at the beginning or the end, right? We're focusing any trunk work is going to be a, a long, tall, pretty posture. So we want to put that in the beginning. We're establishing this long spine that will then be challenged throughout the rest of the warm up. So from, from our long spine, uh, we can get into ankle-specific stuff for a lot of our field and court sport athletes. So then focusing on the ankle. Um, and that's and the then,
0: dynamic movement portion,
1: right? Potentially, depending on where we're at within uh, within their development cycle. But the next segment would be isostability. So if they're at foot strength and ankle strength and establishing uh, stability within that ankle, we jump from the pillar to the ankle. Otherwise, isostability within our primal movement patterns. So example of holding a lunge and then twisting my shoulders. That'd be a good example of I'm establishing an isostability within the lower body primal of a lunge and then challenging it with a a rotation through space. So stability in the lower body, stability in the upper body, stability in the foot, the ankle, but finding now we have established posture. Then we're going to get strong within specific joints or joint angles. And then we're moving. So then the primal movement, I'd be uh, lunging through space with the twist. Uh, How I I love to design different flows to warm-ups, how my LAX guys are doing it right now, is they are uh, splitting the team apart from each other 15 yards, and then they're flowing and replacing each other. So imagine setting your sticks and gloves nice and pretty on your either the 45 or the 30-yard line, and then you begin your movement. So, isostability in your own spot. And then you move across to replace where a teammate's once was. And then we're hitting either more movement or more isostability. And then uh, using that space to go through. So, uh, usually, man, four or five, six good movements and isostability things paired together. And then we get into energy systems. So, uh sprints explosivity jumps what is my sport require for said moment in time so if i'm olympic weightlifting a little bit different energy system than a lacrosse player so i just need to get explosive for an instant for a moment if i'm an olympic weightlifter we still want to focus on athleticism for olympic weightlifting i will say that so lunging stepping twisting pulling running for Olympic weightlifts but in this moment my training is explosive i need to prepare for that for lax it's different planes of motion for football it should be a lot of rotation of the hips uh, so dbs think about different drop steps that your coaches practice with you i throw those in there and i mean it's the intensity it won't be at the level that you'll be able to hit during practice or uh, a game. But the energy system, its intent is that you're explosive. So, uh, yeah, linebackers could be some just, yeah, lateral step, downhill run, or forward step into turn and run. So, something for a moment, an instant that they'll need to spark and react that's specific to the demand that they'll have. Uh, It's not jumping jacks and monotonous long runs at this point it's explosive and specific to what you would need at your best you said that
0: every day you're throwing something new at your athletes in their Mm warm-up over the years you've probably gotten a pretty pretty big rolodex of exercises is this something that you just have up here or is it some up here as in the head bad podcasting well, or is it something you have written down how do you how do you go through that
1: well th- this ties into the the power athlete blueprint blueprint for athleticism and i gave you the foundational movements uh adding to that we also not we power athlete but in the world of movement there are three planes of motion so sagittal plane everything that you can do in a doorway or a squat rack then frontal plane lateral step left and right jumping jacks in there And then trans, uh, transverse plane, rotational. So I have seven movements and three planes of motion to work with as simple and as fundamental as we can make that. So it's not specific exercises. It's just combining Mm. those three planes of motion or two primals or three primals or four primals. So getting into that. Um, one farther look away. There's also, when we talk about footwork, it's not uh, ladder, dr- ladder drills or, you know, chopping feet and any of that. We simplify change of direction footwork as only four, there's only four different steps from our perspective that exist in all of sport. So I love to, at this moment, throwing in a step or two of these steps, or three of these steps, in a different combination, and see how they react, and see who's learning and not learning. So I can't tease you guys uh, too much, but the the four steps, simply put, and man, football is a beautiful example for this. So I'll use football. And the first step is a forward step. So imagine a running back in the backfield during a pass play. Their objective is a forward step because they're in pass protection, pass pro, and they need to protect their quarterback. It's not about the power that they have. It's about, okay, where do I need to go quickly and stop them for just one moment, one instant? So any running back that does a backwards step, a false step during pass pro is probably going to run a mile, right? Depending on how bad the football coaches is. But so that forward step, it's quickness, It's very reactive, but it's not very strong and powerful. Then paired with that, I'm not going to call it a false step. I'm going to call it a plyo step, that step backwards to go forwards. That step is loading and then allows me to be explosive and hit the hole at full speed. On the flip side of the coin from the running back who's aiming to just be quick and get in the way, is the the linebacker that's blitzing. So he can do the plyo step, step backwards, to increase the momentum that he has, allowing himself more power to push through the offensive line and through the running back and then get to the quarterback. So they need that plyo step. It's not a matter of how quick they can hit the hole. It's how much power they have behind them to hit that hole. So that plyo step, that takes training. That forward step takes training. Our instinctive reaction to go forwards most likely is a plyo step. So I have to train the front step, the forward step. So it's a a difference in the literature. It's a difference between quickness and reactive ability. So quickness is important for goalies. It's important for the running back who doesn't know where the... The the moment the blitzer is coming from, so all they have to do is get in the way. They don't have to freaking knock anybody out, but it takes practice and skill of of getting there. Now our our two other steps, I'll come back to this, but our two other steps, we have an open step. So I want you to think about defensive back for an example. So we have an open step. You're dropping in your back pedal, and then you realize, oh, shit, he's going going full downfield uh cooper cup i need to do my job so an open step you push off one leg rotate your hips and then go in the direction of whatever he is running so whether that open step is just 90 degrees okay i got to get to the flats or it's 180 degrees i got to turn my butt around and run it's my hips are opening up in space final step is a crossover step so imagine now i am uh, a guard would a guard pulling that would be an open step now imagine i'm just trying to think of football examples
0: oh maybe like a wide receiver going in motion
1: uh yes so now i'm a wide receiver going in motion my hips are facing the sideline when the ball is snapped say we're going uh, I'm going in motion from the left side to the right side, and then the ball, as soon as it's it's snapped, what I have to do with my left leg, remember I'm jogging towards the, the, the opposite right sideline, I have to pull with the left leg and cross over my right, right foot over the left, turn my hips around now across my body rather than opening up, and go right into my full speed sprint. Or, simpler example training, five, ten, five drill. How are your coaches teaching you to begin? Right? We got our 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 lead foot on the line. They should, anyway, be coaching you to not do an open step here, but to crossover step to start. That's a better example of a crossover step. So then, those are the four steps that exist in sport. Paired with this is not only a matter of doing these steps, It's pushing through space. So on the forward step, if I'm in my athletic position, running back back there, I don't want to simply step with my left foot forward. I want to push off my right, leading with the left, and cover one, two yards, as much ground as I can, muster with the power of that single leg back. So it's very quick, but it's as much power as I can get, will it be as much power as a plyo step, a false step? No, 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 that's okay. But I'm training my athletes to push as much as they can with the forward step off the back leg. Now with my open step, right? If I have to turn and run hundred, if I have to turn 180 degrees and run downfield, I want to get there as quickly as possible. So it's not just a matter of opening up. It's pushing off the back leg so my hips can get around quicker and I can get into my run quicker and then stand a chance versus, you know, speedsters. There's a reason you're a defensive back and it's not because you're fast. I'm kidding <laughs> you, dude. Candor, right? So then within a pulling guard, it's not it just like a man. I can catch. I know. I, I, that's that's <laughs> too easy, dude. I'm going to go for slower. But um, the... The pulling guard, so now I'm set up if I'm my left guard, I'm going to push off my left, open up 90 degrees to the right, and go and run down the line. So rather than just stepping open, I now push, and I'm one yard ahead of where I would be, which gives my running back more time, because I have now more space, and then can do do some dirty work as an offensive lineman and get to the next level quicker so it's it's not just a matter of the appropriate footwork it's pushing through space now that takes training and it's not you know patty cake or pussyfooting and speed ladder drills it's just appropriately moving well and the 5 5 we do a, a lot of that variation Uh, We call it a bow tie sprint. So I mean, we're going to sprint forward 10. I'm going to change direction at the 10 yard line. Say we're on the goal line. I'm going to change direction back minus five. Go to the five, change direction, and then finish through on my sprint. So it's still a 5-10-5-esque, but we want to start off normal. So I'm forwards 10, backwards 5, and finish. When I change direction, and this is, this is a challenge that I had with my team, which I, I, it can exist elsewhere, is the guys were Ampy Turners. Have you ever seen Zoolander? No, I haven't. Dude, I first know, off, Scott Caulfield, you're fired for not training your athletes on movies. Second off, Zoolander, it's a, it's a male model movie. It's a comedy. It's meant to be ridiculous, but they have a term in there called an Ampy Turner. So imagine a male model on the runway only with the ability to turn right. As soon as he's asked to turn left, he has to go all the way around right to then make a left turn. (laughs) It's ridiculous, but athletes do it all the time. So say we're doing that bow tie sprint, they sprint forwards and then they change direction at the 10 with their right leg. And then they rotate so then when they have to change direction at the five yard line, it's their right leg again, and then they finish. So their left leg is not getting any training and change the direction. So their ampi turners took some work to get them now to do that. So bow tie sprint objective, always face south. So then I'm hitting my right leg and then I'm hitting my left leg and then I'm finishing. But within that, this is 5-10-5 five, five work. Five ten five 5 should be a crossover step to start and then you're covering 5 yards and as you plant with your outside leg it should be a crossover step to now come across the line. So watch go back and film yourself doing a 5 10, 5 and then observe your footwork and seeing are you hitting your line and then performing an open step slower. So hit the crossover steps on that Five ten five. Um, I would I hear you know if if they're clocking it, ampy turning is faster with your dominant leg. But now we get to get into, and I mean there's some of this in the, the course training versus testing, right? If we're testing and it means something and it matters, do whatever the hell you can to get the fastest. Performance first. If we're actually training and I want to improve. Then we're going to hit right and left versus, you know, what's the fastest all the damn time.
0: So then if you're training these guys, are you having them go one-on-one? Or are you having them, do, having them do it one at a time?
1: Uh, well, during the warm-up, we're running the full, yeah. everybody's running. Yeah. So split the groups into two, group one go, group two go, and hitting as much coaching as I can. And here's a tip for coaching. Telling somebody individually when I got a team of 50 People, waste. I can tell them by screaming it at 50 people, a toes forward, crossover step. You're picking up that lead foot. So I can announce to the whole team what's a mistake somebody's making. And then they aim to correct it whether they were making that mistake or not. Um, So note on that. But then during competition time, if we get the opportunity, yeah, split the groups up. And then it's a a different form of reaction rather than reacting me coach and whistle. It's, it's like a high five. So imagine you and I are doing five, 10 fives. Both of our lead foots are on there. We're standing nose to nose, face to face. We put our hands out. As soon as we high five, we're off. But then I coach give the direction of, okay, first rep, we're both going to run to our left. So we're going like across. And then finish in the middle. Second rep, then we're going right. So I still aim to to stay as even as possible and allow them to only think about the competition and not how they're. Here's the difference. With the warm up, I want them to think about how they're moving. During the competition, no, 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 no. Forget about it. Your thought, your mind is is on your effort. It's it's beating this guy's ass. So that's a layer up and a level of complexity. We don't have a stick in this drill. It's just mono y mono, but my mind is not on my footwork. It's on my competition. So that, that progresses up. And this this whole thing, the whole objective of warming up with this mindset and approach is to increase your athleticism. So that way, when you're moving and practicing, I'm not thinking about my forward step. I'm not thinking about where my hips are in space. I'm focused on what the hell my sport coach is telling me to do. I'm focused on the opponent in front of me. I'm focused on reading the defense, reading the offense, reading the guards, and then getting where I need to go. But I'm trusted, my mind trusts my body to have the appropriate footwork to execute it. And how I argue this with sport coaches, what we're teaching within the warmups it may not seem like much. much like you begin every single season with the fundamentals of the sport we're beginning every single day every single practice every single even game day with the fundamentals of your fundamentals squat step and lunge are four steps that we introduced so no matter if it's football fundamentals lacrosse fundamentals volleyball hockey fundamentals, twisting, bending, squatting, lunging, stepping of your sport fundamentals. If we can really get good at those, expect your sport fundamentals to jump off. So how I present and argue this, any of our primal movement patterns, those are the fundamentals of the fundamentals.
0: Coach, thank you so much for going over the warm up. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I just have a couple questions, completely unrelated. I like to ask all the coaches these things. Before you joined Power Athlete in 2012, did you see yourself doing anything that you're doing right now?
1: In in a sense, like I was a health fitness major, and my my dad's got a hilarious sense of humor, just a backhanded compliments. Uh, I mean, the ultimate coach, but he's not a coach. Uh, so essentially like I was a psychology major and then he printed out the different salaries and different educational tracks for a psychologist. So I had to pick a different route and it's like, shit, what do I like to do? Lift weights, play sport, run as fast as I can. So then looked into that track. It was not related to sports performance. It was health and heart and EKGs and corporate wellness and all of that. And I just, no interest. So, st- continue to to follow what drew me. So on my own time outside of school would research, and that's part of the reason I found John Wellborn, CEO of Power Athlete, and then Raphael Ruiz, who became my mentor within the world of sports performance. Uh, that's how it, it led me to them, just this this external research thing. So I was on my way. But in two thousand and seven, I was asking questions. That I, I now answered here, and that's figuring out why my play was not improving based off all the hard work that I was doing off the field. So, the 2007 I played college lacrosse. Did certainly a a memory that's burned in my mind. And I mean I played football in Texas high school that led me to college lacrosse in the sense that I was not big enough to play. Even D3 Texas uh, football. But then, yeah, man, still needed a team, still wanted a team. But there was a moment my goalie, like I got back down on defense, and a dude just slam dunked it on our goalie. And he turns to me and grabs my face mask and essentially says something along the lines of Grabs me. He's like, I've seen you bench 315, and you can't keep this guy off of me. And like, goal, my own goalie pushes me away from him. Like, fuck, I just failed and disappointed my goalie and and weight so i could never figure out why you know i was still getting burned and beat despite my strength power and speed in training wasn't connected to the field so all those burning questions and figuring it out and the only response i had was work harder was was not good enough so it, it essentially led me to here so in a sense yes but I had to find the right people years down the road to answer the questions that I had. So, dude, coach for life, no matter what, and certainly did know that in a sense. And um, so whether it was coaching people, like mentally psychology, or finding a way to connect performance, yes. But then the specific questions, gracious, that I found the the appropriate mentors to really unlock those. Why is strength and conditioning the best job in the world? Well, the I mean, it prepares you for anything and everything outside of athletics. So a, a coach has the opportunity to impact every single person that they have a, a the opportunity to work with. So if I am a, a high school coach, I don't devalue that 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 position whatsoever you have the ultimate opportunity to connect with the kids and then send them off and make them a better version of themselves take them where they can't take themselves so the barbell people would argue would teach that lesson and this is jim davis good athlete project quote but he says sports don't teach lessons coaches do and i agree with that so like football didn't teach you your lessons the coaches that through the vehicle of football, taught you those lessons. So within strength and conditioning, it's less of a, there's no politics. And I uh, ran into Texas football high school politics and still do here uh, where I'm living now, but there's no politics in the weight room to quote. Now, Henry Rollins, 225 is always 225. So it's the ultimate opportunity to do the work yourself meaning I athlete can grind, do the work myself, and then have a mentor, strength conditioning coach to provide me feedback or a path to crush whatever's that goal. So all these fundamental intangible tangible lessons that can be learned in the weight room and taught by a strength coach will then carry over to the real world and job and what you face ahead. And then if you have a healthy relationship with training, and fitness and hard work. Well, we prolong that life potentially, right? Prolong that life and then create a reverberation of training and fitness to their kids because they continue to lift weights. Then they build a garage gym and then their youngsters know nothing but weightlifting and fitness. And everyone else is weird for not having a gym in their home. So it's, it's the ultimate job, Because you have an infinite opportunity, and especially now with technology, to have a reverberation of performance and empower people that you can't even see.
0: Lots of great takeaways from that. Coach McCulkin, thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me, man. Good luck connecting and leading. And shit, man, you're in an excellent opportunity.
0: That concludes our episode with Chris Tex McCulkin. At Power Athlete, and if you've made it this far, please check out Power Athlete Radio. That is the podcast hosted by Power Athletes John Wellborn and Coach McQuilgan, who we just spoke to. They just recently released their 600th episode with the final interview with Louis Simmons. It was great, but they have every every podcast they make is fantastic. So check them out. And in the words of Power Athlete, move the dirt. Some days you might bring a spoon. Some days you might bring a shovel. But every day, make progress. See you next time.